0: Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double Edge Devil Bill. This week, Ethan Hawke leads an assault on First Reformed. Each week Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature then both will have to pick number between one and ten in order to seal their fate for the next episode One will have two good movies the other two bad ones let the chaos begin I am Thomas Mariani here just uh you know running this uh precinct for podcasters it's about to close down I'm sure nothing bad will happen
1: and I am Adam Thomas and you might not have known I was such a badass before but you better get used to it
0: oh oof, a, a renegade a rebel <laughs> over
1: here <laughs>
0: And laughing over there is a voice we haven't heard on the main feed in quite a while. He's a buddy of ours. Uh, You might know him from, you know, his podcast sequels or some of his uh, various online presences. He's Mr. Shaquille Lambert. Shaquille, welcome back to the show.
2: I'm glad to be back. It's good to talk to you boys again. It's been a hot minute. We've been trying to get this done since like, what, 2020, 2021, and it just hasn't happened because of various things.
0: Right, yes, of course, and uh, the episode in question that we're doing today um, is uh, in honor of Black Phone, which one of the main reasons this got delayed so much was because that movie got delayed several times over um, until, because of COVID stuff until eventually now it's finally coming out, and uh, the star of that film is Mr. Ethan Hawke, which we're doing him as a topic uh, mainly because, uh, Adam, you've uh, said at least in the past that you're not a huge fan of Mr. Hawke.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, i becoming more of a fan as like he gets older, and or maybe as I get older, I guess. But no, typically, no, I can kind of eh, fuck him.
0: <laughs> where does that come from? Where, where was that when you were younger? Like, what did you not like
1: about Hawk as an actor? I mean, it comes from the heart, bro. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> as a kid, you know, you're, you're maybe at least I was a little bit more superficial, and I always thought he had like a weasel face. Uh, so right there, I'm like, I don't like this guy. But then as I got older, he always came across like super pretentious to me. And I know he's really not. But for some reason, I just always thought he was. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like he wasn't like Van Damme or those guys that I used to love at that age. And, you know, I'm like before sunset, eh, like I didn't give a shit. And now it's like, as I get older and like I said, I start to appreciate actual cinema more. And, and he's popped up. Lately, in a lot of things that I've really liked him in, um, not necessarily the project around him, uh, stay tuned, but um, it's just I've grown to really like him. I don't know why I hated him so much, though, but I'll tell you, I really did.
0: Well, Shaquille... You're obviously on here because we gave you a list of topics and you immediately popped onto Ethan Hawk. So, uh, why are you so drawn to Mr. Hawk as an actor? And I'm curious if that has anything to do with the last time you were on the main feed it was for a Denzel Washington episode. So I oh. wonder if it's a specific
2: movie <laughs> in which the two yeah. of them
0: collaborated.
2: You know, that you might have a little something to do with it, <laughs> you know, training day being one of my all time favorites. But like there's this phrase that I've heard before. They use it to describe Colin Farrell as a movie star with a character actor mentality. And I see that a lot in Ethan Hawke as well. And that's kind of what kind of drew me to him is that, yeah, he's got like he's got the charisma. He's got the good looks or whatever. But like he to me, he always seemed like he was always taking very interesting roles, stuff that that I wouldn't expect him to take, whether it's good or bad is like here or there. Also, hearing him in interviews, he's genuinely, like, one of the more, like, thoughtful people I like hearing from in terms of, like, how he approaches film. In the same way that, like, it, you know how it's fascinating to hear, like, Nicolas Cage break down his process? It's very similar to me for him, for Ethan Hawke, for just, like, I think about everything that he says. I'm like, I like this guy a lot. And so I became a fan. Yeah, obviously, Training Day was, like, the gateway. But there's there's a lot of things where every time I see him in a movie most of the time I end up like, I really liked him in this.
0: I kind of get what Adam's talking about in terms of earlier on, like when you see him in Younger Things, like even the before trilogy, which stay tuned, someone might be talking about that later. Um, The whole point of that trilogy is kind of seeing both him and Julie Delpy at the various different stages of life where, like, they're initially, you know, in their 20s and they're young and he's saying some things that, like, are somewhat insightful but also things that, like, you only think of in your 20s when you don't have as many problems to really weigh on you necessarily. And then the evolution of him, it it kind of feels this weird thing where, like, it really crystallized, I think, with boyhood to me where Mm -hmm. when I watched that movie, it's like, oh my god, this guy personifies cool divorced dad. Yes. (laughs) If you're a kid and you were, like, partially raised by him, and he's he's a good dad and he actually does care about you and wants to be there for you, that's great. But you could also see why, like, oh, this guy couldn't keep a relationship together necessarily (laughs) at the same time. You can see why this guy would be that. And I think that really, like, clicked in for me, where it's just, like, that dude... And I think it's what Shaquille was talking about as well, that, like, I agree that he doesn't have really any pretensions about himself as an actor, because he's willing to do, like, the Richard Linklater more thought provoking, sort of, like, character-driven pieces, but also, he'll do, like, junky horror movies or action movies, and he doesn't really, like, look down on those movies at the same time. He feels like he's a consummate working actor who's willing to do just whatever, even if it's, like, a bullshit bad movie. I rarely think of him as terrible in it.
1: Well... (laughs) Alright.
2: He's trying to put that theory to the test right now.
0: (laughs) Well, we might as well just jump into uh, the two movies, which, if you're new, every week uh, Adam and I uh, randomly pick a double feature where we have a good and a bad movie that we talk about on the next week's episode. So, at the end of last week's episode, we end up choosing um, our double feature, which uh, the first one we'll be talking about is Adam's bad pick of the Assault and Precinct 13 remake from 2005. And then my good pick, which is a more recent film First Reformed, both of which star Hawk, and I think kind of include that dichotomy i was talking about where one is kind of like a junky genre movie and one is a thoughtful character-driven upsetting movie that really fucks you up so <laughs> it, it, we get the full spectrum here on this films but uh first we'll get with the uh, junky stuff here with assault in precinct 13 what the hell is
1: this
0: fun and games does anybody work around
1: E-Sink 13 was supposed to close its doors forever.
2: No offense officer, but we're closing down. We're short staffed. Central said we park here overnight until the roads
1: clean. Until Detroit's most lethal prisoners changed everything. <gasps> this winter.
2: Alright, choose a weapon. Anything you see.
1: The only thing more dangerous than the criminals on the inside.
2: Take mine, baby. Buddy, you wanna trust these freaks? They need us as much as we need them. Are the cops.
1: <laughs> on the
2: outside.
1: When this is over, you're going back to jail. This ain't about me and you. Not yet. Ethan Hawke. Lawrence Fishburne. John Legozamo.
2: Ja Rule. Assault on Precinct
0: 13. So, uh, Assault on Precinct 13 um, is a remake, uh, of course, uh, that came out uh, January fifteenth, two 2005. A remake of the John Carpenter film from 1976, which I'm curious. Shaquille, have you seen the original Assault on Precinct 13?
2: I'd never seen it. I wanted to, and I was always curious about it, because I remember hearing about this movie back when they were filming it in, like, yeah, 04, 05, or whatever, because a good chunk of this is shot in Toronto, and Again, I'll, I'm always going to bring that up anytime I see it, uh, but I remember hearing about it and going like, okay, maybe I'll check it out, and they just haven't had the chance. I've only seen the one scene from Precinct 13, the infamous one, <laughs> the one where that little girl gets shot.
0: Right, yes, yeah, who would later go on to be, I believe, um, uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills.
2: Wait, really? Yes, <laughs>
0: Yes. <laughs> that's that's very true, much like the other girl from Halloween who that's should have been, like, crazy. Kills and shit. yes uh but adam i'm curious you've seen the original john carpenter film
1: right yeah man of course i have i like it for what it is i mean i don't think it's like spectacular i think but it, it is exactly what it you think it's going to be it's sort of like this dirty grimy just action violent crazy movie and i, I love it for that
0: well, I mean, it is pretty much his first, like, real movie, because he'd done, like, yeah. Dark Star, which is, like, his student film that he
1: did, like, back in college.
0: And then this was his first real movie. And I will say, like, you know, John Carpenter's movies have been remade plenty of times. This was the first example, this movie in 2005. But of, like, that classic Carpenter run from, like, Assault in Precinct 13 to around, like, They Live, many of those movies have been put up for remakes or have been remade. And I would say of those, I don't think Assault in Precinct 13 is one that's, like, too holy for me. To not be remade. Because, I mean, even, like, the basic concept, which, if you're unaware, with both movies is there's a precinct that's going to be shut down, and there's one cop who's kind of, like, basically sent to watch over it for, like, 12 hours while, like, the power goes out and everybody, you know, packs up and leaves or whatever. And then, um, all of a sudden, they have, like, a prison bus full of prisoners come in that they have to stay there temporarily because of some like accident or some big thing or whatever and then they are assaulted by a group of different strangers that varies depending on which version or whatever that basic concept has already been done previously with like Rio Bravo John Carpenter says like his big inspiration the western movie starring John Wayne and Dean Martin which is a great movie that concept has been done several times so like I don't think it's above necessarily being remade there's even some things where it's like not my my favorite Carpenter movie so it's like I'm not against it necessarily being remade because I think there is room for improvement would you agree Adam
1: yeah, I'm not against it being remade either. It's just if you're going to do it, make a good movie. And, uh... <laughs> right. That's going to That's
2: be out of this whole, like, this whole review is just going to be like, well, uh... Yeah.
1: not sick. <laughs>
2: Why, Adam,
0: does it, like, because this was one that, like, you've hyped to me. Off mic, I guess hyped down as it was hyped up. Right, for years, about like, you hate this movie. It's so terrible for you. You said it kind of helps solidify why you don't like Ethan Hawke, or at least used to not like him. So, uh, what makes it so bad to you specifically?
1: Well, let's put it this way. As we already said, the first one is like this really dirty, grimy. I mean, of course, it took place in like the 70s and it was his first movie. So, it's kind of, it's really unpolished, but I think that's part of the charm to it. Mm-hmm. This one is just too polished. I'm from Detroit in that area. So while Shaq's probably pointing out things, going, that's Toronto. I'm pointing out things going, that's not Detroit. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So it's just, you know, and of course that doesn't, I, I can suspend, you know, sort of, disbelief when it comes to locations and stuff that's fine i mean how many times has gotham been chicago or even toronto at one point and stuff like that like it happens but it's just like i said it's way too polished for me the dialogue is so overtly cheesy to me the supporting cast is just so annoying to me for the most part uh, Gabriel burn with uh, stop with the accent, buddy. Just it doesn't know. Just be Irish. It's fine. You can
0: no no that. no. What are you talking about? I thought he was very authentic with that accent.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's absolutely from Metro Detroit. 100 <laughs> percent Yep, that's how that's how we all sound. See, See Adam, Adam, you weren't yeah. a
2: fan of Ja Rule constantly talking in the third person?
1: <laughs> no. Uh, not not one bit. <laughs> I also am not a fan of Jala Guazamo in this. I'm not a fan of uh, with Portia de Rossi in this. I'm not a fan. Not Portia de Rossi. Is that her? Yeah, it's yeah her. it is her. Yeah, hmm. Portia de Rossi. Oh, no, no, sorry. Uh, not Portia de Rossi. Maria, no, Maria Bello. Maria Bello, there. Yeah. No, no, no. Portia de Rossi is the other one. The, no, Dre, that's Dre de Mateo. Dre de Mateo. Oh, my God. I swear to God, every time. <laughs> Anyways, Dre de Mateo. But it just goes to show how much they matter in this movie, the, the female characters. Uh, They don't. Um, and, you know, Fishburne is fine. He's playing ultra cool. Lawrence Fishburne. I get it. But it's like, Brian Dennehy, fuck. It's It's just, everything is just too, too polished for me. Like, it's too slick. It's too, like, riding that wave of early 2000s, like, how flashy we can be and how fucking slick can our cinematography be in this action movie. And the story doesn't lend itself to that to me at all. It should be dark and gritty and sort of just really claustrophobic and all that. And I never feel that in this at all.
0: Well... After, you know, you'd been hyping it down so much for me, and me finally seeing Assault in Precinct 13, my big takeaway after finishing it was... Is
2: you love it! Of (laughs) course! Not
0: not quite, not quite. It's more (laughs) just, I can't see why anybody would have strong feelings either way about this movie. (laughs) It is so, like, middle-of-the-road forgettable whatever, (laughs) that I don't, I wasn't really interested in it, but I wasn't also, like, deeply offended by it either. It was just like... That was a movie.
1: I honestly think that the line I alluded to in the opening of the show, where you know it's straight up a table, wow boss, I've never seen you be such a badass before. You just you wait. It it kills me so much. To, it just that is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Nobody talks like that. that is it, just no. No, but I will say the best bit of acting in the movies. Ethan Hawke in the beginning played the wired, like he's the wired guy, where he's all drugged up.
2: Dude, I'm gonna say something about that scene. That scene to me felt like a shittier version of the opening to Narc with uh, with Ray Liotta and Jason Patrick, which like, is a
1: way better movie.
2: Oh, it's a much better movie, and uh, like, because the way that movie opens is very frenetic and like kind of a similar style but felt that one felt way more visceral and actually gritty like you were saying this one yeah he was doing a lot and i was like invested in it but then once it kind of settles down you're like okay that the, none of this really means anything aside from like i guess he had like he had trauma from losing his partners but like i didn't really feel anything from it
0: Shaquille, while you're talking, like, why don't you go ahead? What are your initial thoughts, at least, on *Saw* Precinct
2: Three? Um, when this movie was coming out, I was looking forward to it, yeah, because of Ethan Hawke and Lawrence Fishburne, the cool factor between, at least between those two, to me. And like, I love the pre- like, I like the idea of the premise of the cops and criminals trying to take out these corrupt cops trying to kill them. I thought that was great. I, that that would be cool. But again, I was like 11 when that movie came out, so watching it now, yeah, this movie really doesn't have anything. Going much for it beyond like the lead actors being the actors but like other than that they're kind of phoning it in on a script that's so just bog standard the action is mediocre at best like there's not really actually i can't even say it's mediocre because there's not even anything even slightly memorable about it um, I saw, actually, you know what? There's one thing, and it's when Lawrence Fisherman like threw the two Molotovs at the one guy. But other than that, there wasn't shit to this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what's weird is that with the original movie, it is like so lean as a movie to the degree that like the main bad guy character and the cop, which is interesting, they're both changed in very different ways. Like the cop was a black guy. And the criminal was a white guy in the original movie. And they don't have a lot of this, like, backstory. stuff. about, like, oh, my God, that's my partner in the middle of all this. The guy is literally just, like, introduced, being called in by his superior. Just, like, go to Precinct 13. You know, you gotta be there for, like, when it falls over or whatever. Just like, oh, okay, whatever. And they go. And they introduce, like, the, the criminal guy. And he's not, you know, a drug kingpin, big, like, giant boss guy. He's just kind of like, yeah, I'm getting sent for death row and I'm on a bus. Oh, one of the guys is sick on the bus. We have to stop at Precinct 13. Like, there's no backstory, there's not a lot of, like, character depth necessarily to it, but that kind of works for that movie, where it's so much more lean and so much more efficient as, like, a a thriller movie, versus this one really tries to, like, wax on about, like, oh my god, the, the horrible things even Huck has been through, the PTSD, like, the whole Maria Bello character is so bizarre to me in this movie. Where it's like, it feels like she went through several drafts of being like a love interest, but then just a psychiatrist. And in particular, like, by the time she ends up meeting her fate, like being shot point blank, I was kind of surprised by it, but also I was like, oh, wait, there's no other reason to keep this character around anyway. (laughs) Like, there's (laughs) no reason whatsoever. I was only shocked because, like, oh, you did something with her, basically. She wasn't just in a dress in the precinct, just like, oh, no, what did we do? Are they going to shoot me? It's like, ma'am, they're shooting everybody. They're going to shoot you, too. I will say at least I think Hawk and some of the other people are like at least good for like the setup of the movie. Like I like him going over to the precinct and establishing like, oh, he's actually been here for a bit. And he's like has relationships with like the secretary and Brian Dennehy and all their sort of stuff. I think that stuff's fine. I think the actors kind of at least make it watchable. And even the stuff with, like, Lawrence Fishburne in the church stabbing that dude <laughs> in the middle of the service. Oh, yeah, that was like, great. <laughs> right. There's, there's some, like, like okay, this is, like, decent setup stuff. Like, I'm curious to where this goes. But I agree. Once the actual titular assault happens, it's very just kind of like, I whatever, miasma of snow and bullshit. <laughs> like,
1: it th- yeah, it's a thousand percent constant. We must go wrong. Like that's, that's the, the whole, we got to survive. Like you said, you've seen it a thousand times. And even if it's not the story that you've seen a thousand times, what you have, the action beats are all fucking just so stereotypical and milk toast, and it's just bland and boring. And, and, and I just, look, man, thing is, all right, hot take. I don't like Ethan Hawke. Okay. Um, so I don't know if we got that out of the way yet, but the thing is, we did. <laughs> okay. All right. Just, just to be sure. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. But to me, he's incredibly unbelievable in this role. I don't know if it, he is phoning in or what, but there's no part about this. Like, okay, let's put it this way. Him as Jake in training day. I totally get it. Absolutely. I thought he was pretty good in it. He's, you know, nobody can stand up to Denzel on that. But it's almost like they're trying to do almost like the same kind of thing with him and Lawrence Fishburne, and it doesn't work. It doesn't connect. He doesn't come across as either, A, this world-weary cop or this cop who has PTSD or has got something to prove or anything. It's just he's almost like – he's the main character of a movie that feels like a placeholder character. It doesn't work. It all falls apart around him, like completely. I mean, say what you will about, yeah, a couple cool moments here and there. But when you're talking about, A, a remake of A Carpenter, but fine, let's throw that out. Be a fucking jail siege action movie with corrupt cops and drug lords and all that. It should be super fucking fun and exciting, and in no spots is it. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's almost a comedy. It's so bad.
2: I would say it's a comedy, but then like none of what like John Leguizamo said was funny. He was getting on my. God damn nerve. I mean,
0: I will say that, like, Leguizamo, who's very much going, like, you know, the typical Leguizamo over the top, but I'll at least say that I think of those supporting side characters, which I agree a lot on, like, the the guys who are also on the prison bus, um, I would at least say he's the most memorable, because you got, like, Ja Rule... At least he's actually going to the extremely understaffed and, like, under-provisioned place that, like, is having all this chaos happening. This isn't a yeah. fire festival situation. He actually showed up.
1: <laughs> <to this laughs> one. He,
0: like Shaquille kind of mentioned earlier, he keeps, like, yelling in the third person and keeps, like, doing all these, like, weird, uh, like, attempts to come on to, like, Maria Bell and all the, the other women at the fucking precinct and whatever. And there's also the one uh, um, lady who was part of, like, a gang who was like, no, I'm super tough, but I'm a lady. In the, but i didn't do anything yeah whatever. That, that's 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 all that character has
2: or whatever and i can't even remember like who else is like from the fucking prison bus it's just those it's three like, it's yeah. just it's literally just lawrence fishburne uh john leguizamo jaru and then uh, aisha hines who plays the lady you are talking about uh yeah. it's only those four are the only criminals and then it's like all right cool i guess it's yeah, there was no prison because they all got moved over. Yeah, Brian. Also, Brian Denny, I know you talked about him a bunch, but the moment he's like, uh, "Today's my retirement," I'm like, he's up to something. He's either gonna die or he's gonna backstab
1: them. Clearly in on it. Of course he is, and that's another fucking thing that's been. How many times have you seen that cliche used?
2: That there's a mole inside the thing, and it also doesn't make any sense. For him to be the mole
1: no and it's that stupid you know I, I i worked for them for 50 years you know what they want to give me a gold watch that seemed fair to you blah blah blah. it's the same shit you've heard a hundred times it's like all right cool hey you were you were all right in rambo but fuck off.
0: well i mean that's another thing is like the casting of brian he as a cop it's just like hmm i wonder if he will be insidious or no <laughs> and might end up backstabbing <laughs> people necessarily but at the same time i agree that i don't like the script is very cliche Like, I'm not – and from, interestingly, James DeMonaco, who would later go on to create the Purge franchise after
1: this Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? That guy? He's –
0: Yeah, previously writer of Jack, the Robin Williams vehicle that we (laughs) (laughs)
1: loved. Yes! (laughs) Love it. Love that
0: movie. Uh, But, but yeah, like, he clearly, like, dabbles in very, like, one-note stereotypical characters. But at least in, like, those Purge movies, which are also very dead, John Carpenter and even include Ethan Hawke in the first one in particular, um, those movies at least have, like, some kind of fun with, like, what the premise is and some interesting, like, bits of action that are better than, like, in this movie, which we should mention is directed by a guy named uh, Jean-Francois Rougette, who was a French director who was very clearly hired by Hollywood just to make, like, a junky genre Hollywood movie. Um, This movie feels so indicative of, like, the mid-2000s, like, problems with, like, one bad attempts to rip off, like, the born shaky cam. Like, so many bad shaky cam bits in this movie. That's the worst stuff of the action, is when a lot of people, like, running around, like, oh my god, we gotta run run in the snow, and have vague shots of, like, our feet, and then keep moving. Like, it's very bad on that level. But also, the CG, like, bullet holes in people's heads and people's trophies are, like, atrocious, very bad. Like, this feels very much like it's a movie indicative of, like, that kind of thing, where it's like, oh, fuck, we can do that digitally, and oh, fuck, we can do, like, some Bourne-style shaky cam shit. It'll totally work, and it's like, guys, not everybody can be fucking Paul Greengrass or whatever. You can't fucking do that nearly as well as he can.
1: There is no excuse for a movie with this type of budget to have CGI squibs and CGI bullet wounds. I understand when low-budget movies do it. I completely do. I still hate it. It still looks bad. 95% of the time. But when a movie like this does not you're like, you're just... What, why? Why are we doing this? It's so lazy.
0: Plus, I love a good practical squib. Good practical oh, yeah, squib is one of my favorites. Oh, they're always um, great. Um, but I would still say, even like with a lot of these problems that we're having, I would still say, low bar, it's the least offensive like John Carpenter remake there's been so far to me. I,
2: I mean, yeah.
0: I mean, c- like, considering this year was also The Fog... Which is much, oh,
1: more. right. Okay, Awfully you know expensive. what? You know what? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, yeah, the fog is the worst one. I mean, 100%. The fog's the worst one, but I wouldn't, I still would put even zombies and the, yeah, I put zombies Halloween even above this.
2: Oh, I would too. Cause here's the thing, at the very least, like Rob Zombie's movie, good or bad or whatever, I'll say, I'll even say this about the Purge movies that, that uh, uh, James DeMonico wrote. Those movies have a sense of identity that like you can tell that like this is like the vision for this with assault on precinct 13 it has no real identity or flavor or anything it's just like I said bog standard but like it has nothing to it it has nothing to offer nothing unique anyway No, I I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that either, but at the same time, like,
0: (laughs) I just don't have, like, that much, like, real anger or passion toward it in any direction, just because it's, like, it feels like if, like, I watched this at home, and I was just like, well, this is, this would have been a movie I would have watched, like, on TNT in the middle of the afternoon in, like, 2006, and would have been like, well, i Like, I wasn't doing anything anyway, I don't hate that I watched this necessarily, but I'm not going to remember it whatsoever, and I think it's just because, I think the actors are, like, amicable enough, especially, I would say Lawrence Fishburne is, like, the standout, I think, in terms of just, like, being, like, this crime boss dude who's so cool. Like, I like the fact that he's smooth, but he also doesn't have, like, really suffer any fools at all, the whole time. And I think that's an interesting thing that feels indicative, like, the closest way of, like, translating that original character who I think is great in the Assault on Precinct 13, the, the criminal dude, who has so many cool badass lines. Fishburne doesn't have that, necessarily doesn't have that great material, but I think he manages to create, like, a smooth persona who I think works off of Hawk. Like, the best stuff with Hawk is the two of them like basically sparring off with each other um which is to say that doesn't happen a lot in this movie it doesn't happen secretly like the best stuff is like near the climax with like going through like the forest or whatever that's i think the best actual like action set piece of sorts where mm-hmm. it's them confronting the Gabriel Byrne character and there's a bit more of, like this quiet and they're going through the trees and also so i think that stuff's kind of like th- that's like the best action set piece but also it's too little too late
2: yeah th- at that point there's like less than like 5 minutes left right. in the damn runtime and you're like oh are finally getting to this. But yeah, the verbal yeah, the verbal spars are probably the yeah, one of the better parts. Um especially when they're just like listen. <laughs> when when Lawrence Rivern is like listen, no matter what, you can't get me. You can try, but you ain't going to do it.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the one thing you got to give Lawrence Fishburn in this too is his wardrobe is fucking badass. Like, that guy hey, looks amazing yeah. in this movie. <laughs> he got like, the Hugo Boss. <laughs> yeah, Bishop, Bishop is dressed to the nines, man, for sure.
2: I have never seen a man look that fancy going to prison in my life.
1: <laughs> nah, man, absolutely not. Target back to what you said, Thomas, like, ultimately, it's just, it's completely forgettable. And I'd argue that's, at least in my opinion, that's what makes it a terrible film. Where, you know, we've talked about so bad, they're forgettable. And I think to me, that's worse. Because it's just, at least if it's a film that's terrible, you'll remember it for how bad it is. Now, I remember this movie for how bad it is. I fucking hate it. So I guess it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. But, like, The Fog, to me, completely forgettable. The Thing remake, completely forgettable. Like, I guess those are worse. I have to give you that. But to me, doesn't that, on your echelon, wouldn't it be worse for you? Because you're never going to remember you even not watch this.
0: I mean I don't know there are movies that I remember very distinctly that I loathe with my entire being that I wish I wouldn't have watched that I would have watched Assault and Precinct 13 over any <laughs> yeah, day yeah, fair enough yes. I guess so that's the, fair. in the history of our fucking show <laughs> like I would yeah. watch like I'd watch this over like fucking Wired any day <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i
1: will watch this over Oogie Loves <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> <is the> <laughs> yeah yeah I'll, I'll watch plus, that over
0: yeah plus if nothing else it also gave us like the, the Carpenter sort of like him in a modern times reacting to people remaking movies. His movies, which is some of my favorite, like Carpenter stuff, because like when he was in the middle of making like Assault Precinct 13 in the 70s and all these other movies, you see interviews with him, he's so bitter and he's so angry about just like, oh, why is everyone like Steven Spielberg or George Lucas movies? I'm making these things and nobody's giving me money or whatever. But I love in the modern day, where this is a quote for him directly, but it might not be but specifically this movie, it might have been like Halloween 2007 or whatever, where he's like, in terms of his movies being remade, he said, quote, I love it, if they're going to pay me money. If they pay me, it's wonderful. If they don't pay me, I don't care. I think it's unfair that they don't pay me. I think everyone should pay me. Why not? I'm an old guy now, and I need money. Send me money. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> little, he does not give a shit. He just wants to stay at home, smoke weed, and play video games. Yep. And I love Like that. the god he is. <laughs> and now he's just thinking, like, you know what? I'll occasionally like, make music with my son. Like We'll score fire together. Whatever. I'm hanging out with my kid. It's fine. We'll do that. <laughs> And, I, you know, if they gave him that fucking money, if they just put plop that money in his hand, like there's another quote we talked about, like, it's great when they remake one of my movies, I just put my hand out and then money just plops into it.
2: <laughs>
0: just like, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. And I think, like, you know, once again, this is so inoffensive to me as a remake that, like, I don't, I prefer obviously the original movie. I think it's still the much better movie. But uh, with this one, just like, I, I have no. Ill or positive will toward it whatsoever, and it's definitely gonna be one of the ones that like I will not remember in like a couple weeks when we record, <laughs> like ep- a few episodes from now. Just like oh yeah, Saw Priest 13. I guess I saw that. I guess it's there. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, no no real feeling either way toward it. So that's those are my final thoughts. Uh, Shaquille, final thoughts on Solomon mm-hmm. Precinct 13.
2: Yeah, I'm not angry. I just don't give a shit. Like this movie. <laughs> I've said it all. This movie really has nothing to give. It has nothing. Like I don't. I'm not mad that I saw it. I'm not happy that I saw it. It's just a movie that is. And it's a good reason. Like, there's a reason why I watched this a couple days before we recorded this. Because I know that if I'd watched it, like, when you told me that we were going to watch this, I would have forgotten everything by the time we got here. So, yeah, this movie's got, it barely really has much of anything. I don't think it's the actor's fault as much as just the media. They're, like, substandard writing and directing in this. But but yeah. Also, I guess to,
0: to tag a bit onto that, what do you think of this in terms of Ethan Hawke's career? In terms of especially like his genre work, where do you think this kind of?
2: Fits I mean, in? this is low. Like this is definitely lower tier. Like I'd say this is better than like Getaway, but like <laughs> which we almost would have covered. That was the other choice I had to... him. <laughs> oh my god! You know I would have been so happy we covered that Getaway because, <laughs> because getaways Getaway is much worse. But like it's got something to it at least. But uh, yeah, in terms of just like his genre work, like. It's not. It's it's not even worse than like the first Purge movie. Oh, uh, Adam,
0: uh, please uh, spew your bile uh, for the last time about Salt and Precinct Thirteen. <laughs> uh,
1: well, uh, I fucking hate it. Um, it's just. I don't, man. I fucking hate it. All right, it's just one of those movies. All right, it was on all the time, all the fucking time. This movie was on, and you know. So I ended up, it would just be on all the time because I'd be drawing or painting and it would be on. So I just, I ended up watching it and I fucking hated myself every time I watch it. So it's one of those where anytime it's on, I just feel anger and rage. So I'm like, I could be doing something better. I I don't know, man. It's just one of those, I got a knee-jerk reaction anytime I see it, anytime I think about it. I think it's shit. I think it's a complete waste of time, waste of money, waste of talent, waste of everything.
0: Well, Let's go ahead and get into our good feature, which I think we'll have a lot more interesting things to say about with uh, First Reformed.
2: I have decided to keep a journal to set down all my thoughts and the simple events of my day. I will keep this diary for one year, and at the end of that time, it will be destroyed. But sense the reading of the Lord. Praise be God. Reverend Toller. Yes, Mary. You m- must come over. You must come over now. She
1: was becoming someone I didn't know.
2: Opportunistic diseases, anarchy, martial law. You will live to see this. You had no idea that he was thinking of. No. I'm so frightened. These kids, they want certainty.
1: You know, don't think, follow. They fall prey to extremism. It's a world without hope. My hands shake as I write these lines. Are you washed in the blood?
2: God forgive us for what we've done to this world. Who can know the mind of God?
0: So uh, First Reformed came out uh, May 18th, 2018 from writer-director Paul Schrader, uh, who is probably most famous for his collaborations with Martin Scorsese, like he wrote Taxi Driver and Last Temptation of Christ, Bringing Out the Dead, you know, the calm, normal Scorsese movies that don't have any, like, horrible thoughts from these characters just spewing out. (laughs) Nope. 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 Totally just, like, sane and uh, lighthearted. Uh, this is one of the movies he has uh, written and directed, and uh, this is the story of um, Pastor Ernest Toller, uh, who's played by Ethan Hawke, who uh, basically uh, is this guy that runs a, the titular uh, church, First Reform, which is um, an old church that's about to celebrate its 250th anniversary, but it's not well attended, and he has just kind of been here after some tragedy in his past, uh, and uh, he's being lorded over by... Um, this guy who runs the megachurch that owns First Reform now, played by Cedric Kyles, a.k.a. Cedric the Entertainer, which is wild that he's in this movie. The they called
2: it by his government name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not his king of comedy name, no. We, that, that's not for here. No. Um, but um, while uh, Ethan Hawke is running this church, he um, is tasked uh, by uh, this young woman played by Amanda Seyfried to um, speak to her husband, uh, played by uh, Philip Edinger, uh, who has had a lot of, like, deep, dark thoughts about um, having to, you know, deal with modern times, and especially about, like, his uh, pessimism about climate change and various issues, and it starts Ethan Hawke on this uh, sort of uh, crisis of faith journey uh, that gets uh, more and more down the rabbit hole of darkness and depravity and uh, all sorts of fun. So... I'm very curious, Shaquille, because uh, you actually just finished the movie.
2: We're talking, like, literal minutes before we started recording.
0: Yes, and you hadn't seen it before. No. So, I'm very curious about your first thoughts on First Reformed.
2: Unbelievable amount of dread I felt throughout (laughs) this whole movie. (laughs) Oh, my. Like, this movie, like, it made me uncomfortable in a way that, like, I hadn't felt in a while. And, like... I was captivated, but just like everything about it was already stressing me. Like just from the very beginning, like his opening monologue about him starting the journal and keeping it for a year. I was already like, okay, all right. I'm going, I see where I'm going with this, but just like his day to day in the church, I already, first I was already feeling just kind of bad for just like the very low attendance and just what seems like a very meager, like lifestyle that he's living. Once he has that first discussion with Philip Edinger, I immediately just felt like a sense of just unease that just kept building up upon itself throughout the rest of this movie. And man, <laughs> like, I enjoyed it, but like, I need to decompress after it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's, that's very true. I remember I saw this in the theater and I had very similar Thoughts too, or just I just f- heard like, oh, it's Paul Schrader and it's Ethan Hawke and it's this A24 movie. especially that was like in a big point where I was getting into A24, so I'm like, oh, this will be interesting. This will be, uh, you know, probably a-, a dark drama of sorts. But I'll be very curious to see it. And uh, yeah, uh, the 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 blackness as Ethan Hawke talks about at one point, that uh, has filled the hearts of many for so long, uh, very deep in this movie. There, this is not going to be the most fun discussion, folks. Spoilers about <laughs> First Reformed that we'll have. Um, but Adam, I'm very curious, because you actually said you'd seen this before we even did our picking and whatnot. And right. uh, what about your thoughts on First Reformed?
1: I laughed and laughed and laughed. <laughs> Side-splitting knee slapping knee slapper of a movie. <laughs> oh boy! I mean, I had to wipe away the tears, and they weren't from actual crying. Uh, no, uh, this movie is—I I, I guess the word I would use is—well, uh, it's two words: fucking bleak. Um, it, It's—it's <laughs> just—it's. <sighs> It's a slow burn movie, which, you know, all right, A24, you kind of grow to expect that. But it goes in what it's ultimately building to and where it decides to go. Like, once you realize what he's planning and what might happen, you're literally like, oh, what the fuck? Like, no way. No, he's not. Oh, yeah. Oh, he. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's kind of the whole movie where you're like, oh, "Okay, oh, no it just it doesn't end it, it's it's relentlessly punching you in the fucking face and neck with like everything is shit right <laughs> like, like it's just everybody's greedy and we're destroying the environment God might not be real so and it, like Jesus Christ <laughs> but I will fucking say and you know just because it's the topic of the show this is probably the best performance I've ever personally seen Ethan Hawk give it's so sad and yet there's times you're like fuck you dude but still you feel bad for him and you, like he just has so much compassion and sympathy in his in his sort of his face in the beginning and it just melts away into this just utter depression and angst and just anger and rage and self-doubt and it's just he wears it on his face so well to the point where even when the movie characters like Cedric D'Antainer or whatever are like you know you don't look good You're watching going, oh, no, he doesn't. He looks terrible. And it's just through a natural progression for the way he carries himself, through the way he walks, the way he talks, everything. It's just such a masterful performance.
0: It's interesting. Schrader originally envisioned, like, apparently Jake Gyllenhaal or Oscar Isaac in that lead role. And Oscar Isaac, of course, would later lead uh, The Card Counter, his next movie, another fun romp of a film.
1: Uh, <laughs> full oh, livers. just, oh man, especially <laughs> especially when him and Willem Dafoe get to finally hang out. You're like, oh, yay.
0: Weirdly, like this could be a role that like a Willem Dafoe would play. He's obviously older than Hawk. It feels kind of like a role that Willem Dafoe has played for a Paul Schrader multiple times over, where it's just like this world weary guy who has lived through all this shit. He's just like, what the fuck am I doing? But the fact that it's Hawk who's at that perfect, because I believe he was around like 45, 46 when he took on this part. Mm-hmm. And he has that perfect mix of like kind of like the Ethan Hawk. Um, Sort of like self assuredness at the beginning, where he's just like, Well, you know, like I'm I'm living this particular existence, but I know what I'm doing. I'm fine. I'm doing great. But it's all denial. It's all just him not really confronting like his own health stuff or the various other issues, like, particularly to the degree where the first scene where he talks to Philip Ettinger at the house. And the way that, like, the sort of, like, four-by-three aspect ratio and all the close-ups on Hawk work, it's totally like him being like, oh, you know, I know, like, I can help you out through all this stuff. Like, oh, what? Sure, like, there's all sorts of disastrous data about climate change and there's all this horrible implications about people who try and actually protect the environment and are shot down about it. But, you know, the war works in mysterious ways, but on his face, he's just like, "Um, oh, my God, he's fucking right. Oh, yeah, fucking (laughs) shit. Oh, fuck me.
1: Well, (laughs) it's it's that, but it's also. In the the narration, he's like, this is great. I'm loving every minute of it. Like, he was literally enjoying it. And you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Fucking hell.
2: I think one thing that also just kind of, like, I love about it is, yeah, like, you were talking about the self-effacing at first, and then once you kind of, like, peel back the layers, just see how, like, depressed this guy is it's all especially in his vocal delivery because like you look at like precinct 13 and then first reform precinct 13 is still very like got the youthful energy or whatnot but by the time yeah first reform comes out he's got a weariness like a very weary gravel to his voice by the end of that conversation when he realizes that he's that like michael's right about all the stuff he's saying is just you feel every single syllable that he's saying that just like Man, this dude is broken down by this right now. Right, but at the same time,
0: like Adam's talking about, there is also the weird thrill that he gets about it. That's what's so fascinating about this character, mm-hmm. is it gives him sort of a new rejuvenated bit of life, but also about just like, oh man, I have to stop the world from ending, basically, but I run a fucking small old shirt that no one gives a shit about. <laughs> like, he really tries to, like, bounce out, like, I can, like, attempt to be some kind of superhero, but also it's draining me to try and be that kind of person. Yeah, <laughs> It's so draining my entire
2: essence. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I will also say is that if you had told me, like, right when, like, I saw Dog Eat Dog, like, the movie uh, Paul Schrader did after this, that he would come out with this, I would have laughed in your face. Because, like, Doggy Dog was, like, the worst thing I saw that year at TIFF. And probably the worst thing I saw that year in, like, 2016. So for him to come out with this immediately afterwards is so baffling to me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Paul Schroeder has a very interesting kind of spotty filmography. I would definitely recommend a lot of his, like, 70s and 80s movies. I think particularly, like, Blue Collar, which is, like, a movie about sort of wage crisis issues. But with Richard Pryor and Harvey Keitel, that's a great fucking movie. Or even, like, uh, Hardcore, which is about George C. Scott going into the world of porn to save his kidnapped daughter. (laughs) Or whatever, like,
2: he, like, this guy doesn't deal with a lot of fun shit. Sorry. I, (laughs) I love his Scorsese works, like, Taxi Driver. Bringing Out the Dead might be my favorite Scorsese movie so yeah so like i'm i am familiar with this work it's just the, like the stuff that was like something he had directed as well my only prior thing was Doggy dog so like I wasn't excited, but I was like, all right, I'm 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 excited to see what, because I remember everyone hyping up Ethan Hawke's performance, especially the fact that it didn't get nominated for an Oscar, which honestly should have. And, and even the fact that this is the first time Schrader's
0: been nominated for an Oscar at all for a screen yeah, game, which is amazing, but at the same time, like, I get it with this particular movie, just in terms of, like, it does such a great job of, like, doling out, like, a lot of the stuff, like, not to go too deep on this, because I don't want to depress the fuck out of everybody listening to this, but I think this is the best sort of, like, dealing with, like, climate catastrophe movie I've ever seen, because it so accurately depicts that kind of dread. Like, I've had moments of this kind of dread before. Just, like, the moments where Ethan Hawke is, like, going on this fucking computer, just like, oh, look, there's this horrible company that's doing all this horrible stuff and all these horrible things, and natural disasters that are happening. I'm just like,
2: yep, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that it's gotten more relevant <laughs> in yep. time. Yep,
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, And, like, it's dealing with all that, but at the same time, it's also this character study about this guy who sees all this horrible stuff happening, and instead of doing anything remotely healthy, he is going down that pit of despair. She's like, well, I feel those feelings of despair looking at these kind of news events, but let me dig deeper to the point of becoming a weird extremist by the end of it, where, like, you're on the tension of just, like, is he going to, like, fucking blow up a bunch of people? What the fuck's about to happen? (laughs) It puts you on that kind of teetering edge where that's the stuff that I think kind of balances out like the sort of oppressiveness of it is that while there is all this oppressive stuff that makes you like think about all those horrible events that happen in real life, at the same time, there's all these other elements where it's just like, this guy's going down a fucking path. Where it's like watching Taxi Driver, where it's just like, is he going to shoot somebody? Is mm-hmm. this guy going to destroy so many people? And that journey, that kind of deconstruction of his per- like sense of self is so fascinating
1: to watch. You can't take your eyes off it. And like I said, the whole time I'm watching, I'm going, is he going to... Wait, what? But then it's like it's one of those where you you expect sort of the last bit of you know her walking in and sort of saving him or stopping him to happen sooner maybe even uh, and it doesn't I mean they go to the absolute last minute I mean glass in hand two lip and it, you know barbed wire around body and you're like oh my god oh oh my god and then but the the reason I love this movie so much is at the end yeah she comes in and he stops and kisses him and there's all this sort of moments of redemption if you want to call it that but at the same time just you watch this man just horribly self de- self uh destruct for the last hour and at the end i gotta be honest in a way i mean i'm glad it happened but in a way i'm, I'm kind of like felt a little bit cheated by the ending just a little bit, and I know, I know that sounds crazy. Because how much bleaker do I want this movie to be?
0: Did you want the explosion to happen at the church? Is that what you wanted? they use the suicide?
1: No, no, I didn't want this. No, I did not want the suicide bombing. But uh, and I guess, of course, I don't want him to kill himself either. But if you know, if I had to choose between the two, that would be the one uh, with the drain cleaner and stuff. I don't know. Like I said, it just felt. <sighs> Let's put it this way: I've never been a fan of harsh cut to blacks. Sometimes they work. This time, it didn't really work for me.
0: Well, I think with me, at least with that ending, what I like is the fact that there's the element of, like, he's, like, having this, like, big kiss or whatever, but he's covered in barbed wire. You can see, like, the blood forming on, like, his white sort of uh, new church attire that he's put on. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just the fact, like, this is almost like it's a last, like, final bit of, like, oh, I get to, like, account- like do this thing that I clearly wanted to do this whole time for so long. and But, but at the same time, this isn't going to be, like, a necessarily happy ending for him. I don't see...
2: Like, I also don't think it actually happened.
0: Well, that's true. There's also that, I, which I could totally see, because, like, the, it's interesting how the he's about to drink the drainer fluid, and then all of a sudden he sees Amanda Seyfried come in. So you could, in a similar way to Taxi Driver, where you're like, oh, did that last thing with, like, him in the cab with uh, the Simple shepherd character actually happen or not? There's, like, that debate that you can necessarily have.
2: Because, like, even, like, immediately before, uh, Cedric the Entertainer was just trying to get into the house, and everything was locked when he, uh... I uh, thing was, like, putting on the barbed wire. But mm-hmm. then she's just magically appears in the house. Yeah, no, that... It didn't actually happen, I don't think.
0: Well, yeah, and I think what works is that either one of those interpretations of that, like, either one does not end happily. I don't think for Ethan Hawke, necessarily. It it still is like, this is not going to end up very good for him. Even, I love, even right before that, when he's got the vest on and feels like, okay, is he going to go out there? Is he going to do this and blow up all these people? Like, when he sees Amanda Seyfried, he almost goes, like, animalistic, where he's like,
2: Fuck! Yeah. (laughs)
0: Fucking piece of shit puts the barbed wire on himself. (laughs) Like it's he's gone to that degree where he's like he's not even human anymore. Like whatever human element of him is completely gone at this point. He's become a feral
2: animal. (laughs) Also, one thing that I found like super super fascinating was just like how static the camera was. Like every single scene, when it's even if it's like a close up or just like just an establishing shot of just like something happening on screen. It's all very flat, it's very static, until that scene when they go, when, like, Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried go kind of, like, that weird, ritualistic, like, n- not-sex sex scene, where they're just, like, skin-to-skin. Oh, the, the magical mystery tour, yes, right, as they call that it. That
0: yeah. tripped me out. Yeah, and I love the fact that it's, like, this big, beautiful moment initially, where it almost looks like they're doing, um, at Disney World, they have the attraction of Soren. Through where you're just like in the air, going through like all these different landmarks, and I love that. It initially, feels like they were just like, oh, we're in front of like a beautiful sky and all this other stuff, but he can't not let those horrible, depressive thoughts. Take yep. him over. And it's like, oh, now we're over like a tire fire and defense yeah. station and all this other shit. And I like what the Amanda Seyfried character, like a lot of Paul Strader, like female characters aren't the most necessarily best written characters. Um and Amanda Seyfried doesn't have like a huge amount to do in this movie. But I like the fact that they established that, like, yeah, I had similar feelings to Michael before, you know, he ended up killing himself, which for the record, also that bit is one of like the most upsetting things I've ever fucking seen. Awful. I mean. yeah. Ethan Hawk discovering that body. Terrifying. But I love the fact that you know, Amanda free talks about, like, you know, I have similar thoughts to him, but I want to live. I want to be a mother to this child that I'm pregnant with and all this other stuff. But, like, you see these contrasting things where, like, there are people who don't, like, decry that climate change isn't happening. But at the same time, are just like, but I want to, like, still try and live a life despite that. I still want to keep going past that. And Hawk is just somebody who's like, well looks like I'm not going to be able to do that because what life was he leading before this point where like, he's shutting everybody off. Like poor Victoria Hill as the lady who like keeps trying to be like, you know, Hey, we tried to have a fling once and we didn't, it didn't work. That's fine. But you have to take better care of yourself. You're deteriorating. And when he berates her at the church, she's like, yo, I hate you. I despise.
1: I despise despise you. you. I despise you. I despise what you You were like. You remind
2: me me of my insecurities. I'm like, yes,
1: what is good with you? (laughs) Woof, <laughs> got her <laughs> yeah no it's it's terrible yeah you feel so bad for her and it's like you know that, that's the scene and to be honest that's the scene where I, in my head I'm like oh fuck this guy like you know even though I feel bad for him and you know, uh, you know his backstory what happened to him is terrible sad, very sad um, I couldn't imagine dealing with something like that but then that moment happened I'm like oh what a prick
0: what I like is that Paul Schrader makes these movies a lot of the time, where it's like, let's focus on this dude who is such, in like in so many ways, an awful piece of shit and asshole, all these other stuffs, and he gives him them humanity, but not in a way that like oh, completely makes up for like, but he's a good guy or whatever. It's like no, this you are just seeing the guy. Complete warts and all. It's just like Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver, which is just like, you are experiencing this guy's perspective the whole time. We're not really diverging away from it whatsoever. And you were just living in this person's, like, regret and remorse and few feelings of joy. But those feelings of joy also come from weird, fucked up places. Like, he really encompasses all that in a way that I think few other people manage to do when they try and emulate like a taxi driver you know i'm not pointing any fingers but maybe some movies with people in fucking clown makeup um do a pretty (laughs) bad job of um where you're just like ingraining this person's like perspective but you don't feel any of like the actual weight or you don't feel like real complexity in that character versus this guy the fucking toller is a very complex upsetting fucked up individual who you are captivated by even though this dude's a fucking asshole. I would never want to be around. But <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite bits is um, whenever he does do the tours, like the historical tours for the church, He's just like, oh, these different facts and all this stuff and how just like completely depressing is like the first one with the family. That's just like, it's like fucking the is just like, oh, can I get a shirt? It's like, we only have smalls. I'm getting some words. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, it's so sparse and depressing. Or even when little kids come in, and you see him initially looking at them, just like look at these children. They have no idea of what the world is being destroyed in front of them. And and then the, he talks about the whole thing with the underground railroad, where he's just like he's trying to do it dryly initially, and he's like, you know what? Here's a fun thing, kids. Look, anyone notice there's something different about the floor? Yep, that's a trap door. Let me show you.
1: Yeah, help me how they open this. Yeah, could you imagine it? A family down
2: there. <laughs> and then, yeah, by the end, like I remember those families in the in the hot air hiding from the yeah, slave the- catchers. It's like,
1: yo, bro, you can relax. Right. They could hear the slave catchers on their horses trampling around outside i almost wish they cut back to the teacher or the kids
2: going like yo what's good with you my guy
1: or they go back to the
2: teacher they go
1: back to the teacher pulling her collar yeesh (laughs) (laughs) like
0: they just have a wide shot of like him just still looking down at the trap door and they're just like
1: i want to go back to school (laughs) they're they're gone they left
0: And, like, the reactions off people, like, are, are so good, like, with that supporting cast, especially, like, I mentioned before, but I can't emphasize enough how when I watched the movie, I had no idea Cedric the Entertainer was in it. And when he shows up, he is kind of perfect as the dude who would lead a mega church and have all these business ties that are so much more key to him. Yeah. That he would hide behind God at the same time. Like, the whole scene where, as Adam mentioned earlier, he's just like, you don't look good. And then he, go- like, Ethan Hawke goes off about just like, but, but what we're doing to the earth and everything, what we're doing to God's creation. And instead of the interior turns his chair around and he's just like, this motherfucker. I can't. Take your bullshit. I have too much tied up into this. I can't handle you anymore. But he's still just like, We have to respect God. You know, maybe this is God's path. This is what he wants for Earth. He's done this before for 40 days and 40 nights. He could do it again.
2: Just like, Oh. I think this is just like the one dramatic role he's ever taken, as far as I know. But yeah, no, he is amazing in this. And <laughs> which is crazy because, like, historically, I don't like. Cedric the Entertainer, like, almost at all. Like, even as, like, one of the kings of comedy, I don't really like the kings of comedy that much outside of Bernie Mac, but, like, man, yeah, no, this... Actually, no, you know, I liked him enough in in uh, the first barbershop. Actually, no, there was one other non-comedy thing he took, but that was, like, Street Kings, but even then, he was in there for, like, what, 10 minutes? But Like, this is the first thing that, like, actually gave him, like, some meat to work with, and... I would like to see him do some more dramas on occasion.
0: I don't know. I think you're dismissing the raw dramatic appeal of Johnson Family Vacation.
2: I knew you were going to hit me with this shit. It was, listen, I was predicting he was either going to be that or code name the cleaner. Uh, what about be cool? That's true, right?
0: Massive. I saw you. Be cool, cool in theaters. <laughs> uh, but who's your favorite of sort of the supporting actors, Adam?
1: I got to be honest, man. And I don't even know his name uh, just because I've never seen him before in anything, but the guy who plays, you know, the organist, and sort of his friend, he's the one who finds the liquor bottles. He's one, he's got a very subtle, small role, but there's nothing but empathy and care in that guy's voice and on his face all the time. That guy stood out to me for some reason. I absolutely loved that guy. Uh, It's just, you know, in a movie filled with just quiet our performances, that guy's to me felt very real.
0: Yeah, that guy I believe his name is Bill Hogue, and the only thing I kept thinking when I watched him and I joked about the Sun Letterboxd, he was just like, oh I didn't know James Cameron moonlit as a fucking church organist.
2: <laughs> wow, he really does look like James Cameron.
0: <laughs> That's his pseudonym. <laughs> look, I'll take you on my submarine, we'll be fine. We'll have a great journey <laughs> under the sea. You gotta be calm. Sort <laughs> of weird community that spells around the church with like him and Victoria Hill and Amanda Seyfried coming in, where it's like all these people have genuine concern about his well-being, and he clearly has none of that because he's too busy fucking writing in his a composition notebook, which I love. That's like a recurring thing with fucking Paul Schrader movies. it's like I wonder how many fucking journals this dude has had because like fucking Travis Bickle did that, Oscar Isaac on The Card Counter does that in these fucking composition notebooks. It's just like, are you gonna do your math homework in that after you're done with that <laughs> entry? <too? laughs> you
2: fucking nerd. <laughs>
0: But, like, I just love, like, the way that they go so deep with, like, so many people handle voiceover, obviously, so terribly, it's not such a cliche, but I love the way that Paul Schrader does it, where it's just, it's going even further into this person's sort of, like, madness, where you're just going on development, like, even the fact that, like, he disturbs himself so much, he's just like, I ripped out
1: pages earlier, self-serving. Oh, that, that shit, that shit right there, when that happened, I'm like... Oh, he's gone now, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's like,
2: I'm going to maintain and be very diligent with this every single day for a year. And then, yeah, the point where he's like, Yeah, I'm, I'm ripping pages out. I can't change. Like, at first, he's like, Oh, I wish I didn't say that, but I'm going to keep it in. To
1: I'm just taking all this shit out. <laughs> you know, the thing about it is, it becomes less of a journal, more of like a fucking manifesto.
0: Right hmm you
1: know where it's just his psychosis is now just spilling into this fucking thing so he takes the earlier shit out it's not who he is mentally at all anymore so get rid of it it's false it's a lie and that's terrifying
0: Yeah, and once again, you're so sucked into his perspective that, like, you feel like, oh my god, this dude's off the deep and uh, and off the rails, but at the same time, you do feel those empathy points, like, when him said you're the entertainer and that one asshole who runs the fucking, like, awful company that claims, like, oh, you know, there's discussions about, you know, cleaner energy and whatnot, and he's just like, but what about, like, all this other stuff, like, weren't you the guy who found Michael right after he spoke with you. Why don't you think about yourself before you fucking speak about others? Like,
2: oh, wow. bro, I, wow. Want, to, I want to punch <laughs> that man in the chest. <laughs> right. Like, oh, dude, are going to make this service political? It's like, bro. <laughs>
1: I know, Cedric the Irritator said there, like, after he says that, and... Like, oh, fuck that, dude. Ethan Hawke should have thrown that coffee in fucking Ed Block's face or whatever the fuck his name was. (laughs) But I love, yeah, he's
0: just like, um, Toler didn't understand the implications of what he was doing. Like, fuck up with this, like, middle ground bullshit.
1: Yeah, fuck you. (laughs) But that also goes to show how everything becomes political at some point, too. Because even Ethan Hawke was like, dude, it was his final wishes. Like, that's what he had written in the will. That's what we did. So he really didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, at least at that point, give it about right. a week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's true, yeah. Um, and But yeah, Adam, like, before we get into final thoughts and stuff, we were talking about the ending, and I don't think you got quite a chance to say, like, with our interpretations, like, it may or may not happen. Like, do you agree with maybe some of those, or do you think that it still feels a bit like a cheat to you with the end?
1: I think the locked door scenario is enough to where you can be like, no, nah, she's not really there. He drank the shit, and now he's just kind of hallucinating. I don't know. I I really don't know. Um, It doesn't cheapen it or make it better for me in any way. I I just, it's definitely one, like, you got to figure. I watched this a couple weeks ago. I rewatched it today. And I still got to sit with this thing some more. Like, this movie is just so fucking, like, just a gut punch where it's, You you know, you get the idea of where it's going and how he becomes, you know, Otis like this activist and everything. But you never expect it to go to the lengths that it does in such a slow burn, subtle way. Like the fact of the matter is, the scene where he's at the, you know, where they dump the ashes, wearing the vest, just walking back and forth all night.
0: Oh my god! And even at the fucking plant, and that's the first time I think like, oh my god, he's going to do something here. That's why. guided tour.
1: Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, as soon as the lady's like, sir, you want to join us? And he walks up, I'm like, oh, fuck. I was like, you better not do what I think he's (laughs) going to (laughs) do. Yeah, oh, shit, buckle up. And
0: and also, shout out to the location that they had for, like, that horrible, polluted, desolate area by the shore is, like, the perfect visual metaphor for the whole fucking movie. Yeah, it's, uh...
1: uh it's Tampa, Florida. It's like a block away from your house.
0: I mean, you know, we we're pretty accurate. No, not, not, uh, but this, the pollution isn't as much in the sea as much as it is on the people.
1: Hey, yeah, there's a guy there. You won't get a Come on in. I can't
0: <laughs> They snort the pollution out of it. Yeah. Uh.
1: <laughs> Smoke it.
0: <laughs> uh, well... We should probably uh wrap up on this even though there's so much else we could talk about but we don't want to depress our audience too much further than we may have already have. Shaquille, your final thoughts on First Form, especially as Adam kind of intimated, would you say
2: this is maybe the best Ethan Hawke performance? Honestly, yes. I will 100% say this is not for everyone. Like the slow burn, very heavy, very like it has a lot of things to say, but just the devastation like the it's like a slow burn quiet devastation and even hawk's performance is fucking monumental in this i still need to sit with this i'm still just trying to deal and process like the discussion is helping but just like there's so much to this uh, my, my thoughts are just very mishmash, but like, this movie's great, but Jesus fucking Christ, I need just something to cheer me up right now. <laughs> it's not when you're going to rewatch immediately. It's just like, oh, I got to go get- Oh, I'm not rewatching this again. for a long time. I got to take a break.
0: <laughs> true, true. Uh Adam, your final thoughts on First Reformed?
1: Feel good movie of the year. Show it to your kids. Um, no, it's, like I said, man, it's super bleak. It's super depressing. It's super just- puts you on the edge all the time because you don't, like I said, you know where it's going, but you really don't want it to go there. Um, And yeah, like I said, it's my favorite Ethan Hawke performance um, at least as far as a starring role. I I think he's absolutely incredible in this. Um, I've watched it twice now. I don't think I'm going to watch it again for a long, long time. Potentially, honestly, if ever. It's one of those movies that I've seen it now, like I said, twice. I'm never going to forget it do I want to put myself back in that headspace when you watch it? Because it definitely takes you places that you might not be comfortable with, which is what makes good art and good movies. Like that's the thing in comparison to our previous, this one makes you feel shit and makes you think about things and really hits you and stays with you. Um, It's a wonderful, wonderful movie, uh, impeccably directed, shot, acted, scored, everything. It's just i'll uh you know wreck him for a dream or the road it's definitely gonna be one of those that fits in the loved it love it so much i don't know if i'll ever watch it again
0: yeah you know paul Schrader is basically like the king of dude are you okay cinema we it's just like you're dealing with a lot of this shit he's just like pouring so many of his like really depressive thoughts in these characters and yeah when i first saw this movie in the theater i had a similar thing like i walked out into fucking days like i remember still the car ride going back just like Man, I don't even know what the fuck. Like my I can't even gather my thoughts right now. This is so devastating on so many levels but in a way like Adam I completely agree like this is what makes good cinema this is what makes like really great movies that make like really stick with you and stay with you then it's just not like oh I just went off and went to the theater watching them for two hours and then left never thought about it again I love a movie that's able to make me think about those things even though it's so upsetting to where there's a reason I haven't watched it in like the fucking four or so year span since it came out until now (laughs) when I watched just last night it was a rainy night and it kind of like helped fulfill that sense of dread of just watching, like, Jesus in a way that still has, like, you know, is so wrapped up in things that, like, I can totally empathize with just like dealing with loss of faith in terms of religion loss and faith in terms of like our institutions being able to help us through something as like catastrophic as like climate crises and shit like that it, has, it deals with so many of these things but it's still like a very engaging enriching character based story and I would say probably it's the best Ethan Hawke performance as well it, it's just a great example of how that dude can use like what he usually does in terms of like sort of the charisma and all that stuff and drain it in a way that still feels like he is the only person that could have done it as well as he does here and uh, I think it's a phenomenal film, a great film for our times, and uh, yeah, just um, as I mentioned, feel good movie of
1: the year. Yeah, it's funny, a lot of people don't realize there was McDonald's toys tie ins.
2: <laughs> Get your first suicide <laughs> <pen>. <laughs> yeah.
0: you, you had to collect all the pieces, there was the barbed wire piece, you had to like, yep. put it together.
1: Yep, absolutely, <laughs> little liquor bottles.
0: <laughs> when you push the button, the blood comes out.
1: Yeah, you know when you push the button, it pees pink Kool Aid. <laughs> oh God.
0: God! Oh well, now let's go ahead and go into our weekly segment, the Double Redo. Double redo,
1: double redo,
0: double redo,
1: double redo, double redo. Double re-do. Double re-do. Double re-do. Double, 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 double. Do redo.
0: That works. So every week uh, after we cover our two features, Adam, myself, and a guest uh, is welcome to do this as well. Uh, Basically, come to the table with uh, a different good and bad pick related to the topic in general. Just you know, to recommend a movie and to steer you away from another one that we don't like necessarily related to. In this case, the topic of Ethan Hawke. And Adam, you're starting us off here, so please, uh, what are your choices?
1: Alright, so for my good, it's a movie we recently talked about on the Edge Relevance and, uh, strangely enough, a movie Shaquille watched today. I have The Northman, which, you know, if you want to know exactly how I feel about that movie, become a patron. It's only a buck. Listen to it. Uh, but I will say Ethan Hawke's performance in it, as small as it is, uh, is really, really just very strong. And then as more is revealed later on in the movie about the character, it adds that much more to the performance. Um, I think it's a great commanding sort of, you know, king of performance. Like he's the king, and there's no doubt about it that he is that, and that he would have these people that follow him. And whether he rules justly or unjustly, you find out at the end. But it's just—it's a wonderful, wonderful performance. I absolutely love it. And then for my bad, I have, which is odd because I think he is the best part of the show. It's just—it's to me, I, I couldn't stand the show. I have uh, the newest, well, not the newest because now there's Miss Marvel, but I have Disney Plus's Moon Knight series. Um, I absolutely. I hated this series because I am a huge fan of the source material, huge fan of the character, the Mark Spector idea, the mercenary with multiple personalities, all that. I think it's such great, dark, rich material. And this came across like a buddy comedy to me. And he's in the suit all of 15 minutes, if that, the whole show, the final fight is them flying through the air. And then when he finally, like, something cool happens where a bunch of people are confronting him, he blanks out wakes up and everybody's dead you're like oh great great but again even though i hate the show ethan hawk is to me the only shining example of the whole show and even then they don't give him too much to do um unfortunately his sort of ability in the role way outshines the character and that's a shame
0: um yeah, I haven't watched Moon Knight. Like I don't I don't need to watch the Marvel shows anymore. I got kind of tired of those. Honestly,
2: that that was a smart thing to do cuz like these shows. I haven't I, I can't judge Miss Marvel yet, but like I'm so tired. <laughs> like even Moon Knight just felt like an active waste of time.
0: Yeah. And it'd also been a bit more disillusioned with some of the movies and so so I have not seen Moon Knight. Um but I I have seen um, the the Northman obviously as we covered it previously on the Edge, on the edge Relevance now I'll just say um, the divorced dad energy I was talking about with boyhood is also present in this like big Viking Northman movie <laughs> with Stephen <laughs> Hawk's character he, he's even got that where just like the little kid. just like oh I love him so much he's so he's a cool dad who keeps going in and out and you see Nicole Kidman just like hmm, mm-hmm. yeah sure, all right. so fucking cool He's such a cool <laughs> motherfucker. And as Adam mentioned, you learn later, like, oh, no, she
2: didn't think it was that cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Mood Knight, like I said, is really, really just mediocre at best. Um, like, the only thing that I had that I was just trying to care about was Oscar Isaac's performance, which I think he does an, He does a solid enough performance. And even Ethan Hawke, I like the character intro, the whole thing with the glass and the shoes. I thought, I was like, okay, I'm very interested to see how this kind of plays out. At least not that whole thing, but just like how his kind of fanatical cult leader thing will go out. And it's just so boring. Like that's, that's the worst thing about these shows, at least recently. And just the MCU, this phase has just been... I don't care about any of this. As for The Northman, which, yeah, like Adam said, I just saw today. That shit kicked ass. (laughs) That shit, like, if there's anything that just, that movie is so primal to me. I'm just kind of babbling, but it's such pure testosterone for what's essentially just ultraviolet Hamlet. And Ethan Hawke's performance in it is, yeah, it's very short, but it's very, very good and very passionate. And it leads into the big reveal later on. Right,
0: and I also love with Northman that, like, he's able to, like, have that kind of, like, regality, but also there's the whole scene where, like, him and the little boy and Willem Dafoe are doing the weird, like, wolf thing, and they're, like, howling at the fire, and the kid farts, and he's like, ah, that's it.
2: Man. That's my kid. <laughs> I was like, did y'all just put some fart noises in this shit?
0: <laughs> and that's early in the movie before he gets super testosterone, and basically becomes, like, Viking Conan, which is what that movie basically is. It's Conan the Barbinger, both Vikings, in a good way, but, uh... Now for my choices, um, I have a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, a double feature that uh, exemplifies a couple of collaborations with his biggest collaborator, Richard Linklater. Um, The first one I have, uh, the good one, is Before Sunset, which this is a stealth recommendation of the whole Before trilogy. If you're unaware, basically it's about um, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy in Before Sunrise from 1995. They meet up in their 20s in Paris. After they meet each other on a train and they like walk around, they like, talk about stuff. And each movie is about nine years uh, in in terms of gaps between each one, and it shows like the differences in their relationship from like each point onward. And I would still say before, even though I love all those movies, before sense is my favorite, if nothing else, because I think it's one of the best sort of like real-time movies where it's about 80 minutes long and that's how long the actual characters are interacting with each other in it. Um, I love the discussions that happen, but also I love that it's kind of a deconstruction of the first movie in terms of like that kind of fantasy thing that you have, especially like, oh, I met this girl on a train and we talked for like a whole night and we loved each other so much for for that moment and we disappeared off into the night. And then this movie deals directly with just like, look, that had weird implications on both these characters and really affected them very clearly. And I think it's such a phenomenal little movie that almost feels like it's all done in one take with just how like it's shot and it's such phenomenal performances from hawk and delpy who are both like kind of have that same charm from the first movie but they're they're in their 30s now and they have a lot of like hang-ups and regrets and issues that make it like such an interesting character study for the two of them i think it's it's kind of a perfect fucking movie to me before sunset that's my favorite of those three really great fucking movies uh and then my bad is one that I don't think is even necessarily terrible, but it's kind of frustrating. It's called The Newton Boys. It's a movie that barely exists, but the, it's based on a true story about a group of brothers who become nonviolent bank robbers. That was the whole appeal, is that they didn't really kill anybody while they were bank robbing, but they managed to rob like 80 banks over the course of four years. And the cast is so stag, especially for like 1998, when all these people were at their height, where you've got Matthew McConaughey, Ethan Hawke, Skeet Ulrich and Vince D'Onofrio as the brothers you'd figure like that's gonna be an awesome movie that sounds great and it's kind of this weird mix where like it feels like it's a studio movie from like the early 90s in terms of the way it's shot and the way a lot of like the high scenes are composed but it has the Richard Linklater kind of like hangout attitude which I love in other movies but for this it just kind of makes it a dull affair and like you feel the whole two hours it's not without any charm because that cast is still good enough to make like certain fun moments work But it's so kind of, like, malaise and kind of, like, a wasted opportunity considering how awesome the idea is.
1: Now, I've never seen any of the before movies. Uh, We've talked about this. Like, it's something that I should do. But I just... uh, uh, I don't care. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm glad you love them. And I know a lot of people do. So maybe one day I'll get around to it. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, The Newton Boys. I recently watched that, too. It's a wet fart of a movie. Like, it's, it's. there's, you know, farts are enjoyable. They're good. A good fart is great.
0: We talked about the Northman farts. Yeah, the 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 are a good
1: (laughs) fart. But a wet one is trouble. Like, uh uh-oh. And this (laughs) movie ultimately is... Is that, I mean, the cast, yeah, not without their charm. I mean, Matthew McConaughey with his drawl, is charming in it. Uh, Ethan Hawke's great. Skeet Alrick is probably the weakest one of the four, but, you know, it's, it's Skeet Alrick. Like we talked about earlier, it's forgettable. Like, I, I don't remember any of the lines in it, basically. I just remember Matthew McConaughey talking about how great they were as bank robbers and all that shit. And it, it's just, eh, eh it exists.
2: Uh, I've seen neither of these movies. That being said, I've always, I've wanted to see the before trilogy for the longest time. I keep not pulling the trigger whenever it goes on sale and the criteria on the Criterion sale, but like at some point I will get it and I will go through all three of them, but I'm very much looking forward to it. The Newton boys is one of those movies that I remembered by name, but I didn't know link later. i actually made it until I just Googled it just now. And yeah, that cast is crazy. Especially, especially for nineteen ninety eight? That's disappointing to hear. That being said, put some respect on my man Skeet Ulrich. I love that man. That man is great. But yeah, no, it's a shame that Newton Boys is just not good from the judging from the two of y'all. He was hot
0: off of Scream, and he and you know Vince Dafter was hot off of Edgar Bug, his sexiest role. I mean, <laughs> come on.
1: My favorite Ski Ulrich is digitally DH aged Skeet Ulrich. There, scream, <laughs> scream, yeah. Listen, scream,
2: Listen, I always yeah. go up for stupid ass Riverdale, and my man is killing it on there. Like unironically, yes. Hey,
1: look, Jericho was the shit. The show Jericho was awesome. Skeet was great in that show.
0: <laughs> He's a guy where, like, remember at the time, everyone was just like, "Oh man, he just looks a lot like Johnny Depp." Now looks a lot better, and also is the last. Hell problem.
1: yeah, I like it more than Johnny Depp, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Johnny sure. Depp looks like the digitally de-aged Skeet
2: Uh, but Shaquille please your double redo choices okay you gave me this proposition I was like all right cool let me see what I can think of and two came to mind so the first thing is the good pick which is you know it it, kind of fits in because we're talking about this with the upcoming release of the black phone so I want to talk about Scott Derrickson and Ethan Hawke's earlier collaboration Sinister Sinister scares the shit out of me. (laughs) I'm not a ghost story person, but this one got to me. Not only just from Ethan Hawk's really, really good and grounded performance, like I was there rooting for him, even if his character was doing some stupid, stupid decisions. The films themselves are genuinely some of the most upsetting and legitimately terrifying things I've ever seen on like in a major Hollywood thing. Especially that fucking that lawnmower shit. And Mm I hate jump scares. I hate jump scares more than anything on the planet, essentially, unless they're earned. And the ones in this are very well-earned where I had to go, even I was mad and I was still like, that was really good. I got to give y'all that one. (laughs) It affected me in a way that I'm like, I really, really just love this movie. Just top to bottom from the, yeah, the script the The performances, not just from Ethan Hawke, but just like everybody, especially uh, James Ransone as deputy so-and-so. Everything is just on point. Now, for the bad one, I'm picking Cutthroat City, which is such a major letdown considering the talent involved, which, if you don't know, it's a heist film set in post-Katrina New Orleans, directed by the RZA, and as a cast including Shamik Moore, uh, Ethan Hawke, Wesley Snipes, uh Demetrius Ship Jr. who played Tupac in like the All Eyes on Me, the Biopic. And it's like these kids who are affected by who are still like kind of dealing with Katrina the like the aftermath of Katrina, how it just completely destroyed like the lower income part of the city and then just turning to a life of crime. And There's some really, really cool stylistic moments that you would think would happen, especially early on in the movie, that never really get taken advantage of. Like, it just happens, like, the one time and then just almost never happens again. Um, And Ethan Hawkey's briefly in it as, like, a corrupt alderman. And they don't really give him that much to do either. But also, then again, they don't give much to anybody in this. Like, the script, it's just so poor and doesn't service this cast well enough. But... Yeah, it's it's just such a shame because I'm a big fan of the Riza, especially musically, but like I'm I go up I'm a defender of the first man with the iron fists, but that second one terrible. But yeah, this is just such a letdown.
0: Uh have not seen uh, Cutthroat City. I was not even aware it existed until you mentioned it, <laughs> honestly. But um I do really like Sinister quite a bit. I don't know if I quite love it. I would say like I would love Sinister so much more if we didn't have a Bagul. I don't think you really need that for that movie. Mm-hmm. But that being said, um, I do agree with you particularly about like the various film strips. What I like is that you're put in the position of like Ethan Hawke becomes almost a weird horror obsessive by watching like these film strips that he finds. And he's just like, oh god, I
2: got it. like this is so fucked up and horrible. Let's put on the next one. Yep. What's, on one. <laughs> what's up, Neg? <next>? Man, also, <laughs> the single most fucked up title card I've ever seen in a movie in my life. <laughs> The very opening shot is just, hey, you want to see this family get hugged? All right, here's them getting hugged all the way to death and then just sinister. I was like, Oh Jesus Christ! We're in for some shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, all those, all those work with really, them. Particularly, like you mentioned, the the lawnmower one is, I think, one of the more effective jump scares ever in recent memory. Just because that's such an overused thing, and that particular one is still one that I think about in terms of like what a great jump scare can be. That one's really stellar for sure.
1: I really like Sinister as well, and I don't even really mind the Bakugou thing. I just cannot stand the way the character looks. I absolutely hate. Yeah, that. I, I could. This that. black suit with a pristine white shirt and like the long oily danzig hair. Like, get the fuck out of here with this! You guys gonna do anything better than this? But other than that, I, I think it's a super solid horror movie. I mean, it is absolutely just a build up movie where just builds and builds and builds and builds. And yeah, I, I I think it's just really. Really well done. Uh, Avoid the straight-to-video sequel at all. Uh, That was not straight-to-video. That was theatrical. That was was it? Oh, God. So what, for like a week? Right, true. (laughs) Okay, see, I didn't even know that it was in the theater. Oh, it's terrible. Um, And Cutthroat City, I have seen it. I couldn't tell you anything that happens in it. I completely forgot (laughs) forgot about that movie. I remember the posters for it, and the advertising, and I was like, "Oh, this could be cool!" Oh, Wesley Snipes, sick. Terrence Howard, great. Ethan Hawke, oh, cool. A young new cast, awesome. I don't know. I I, I don't know what happens in it. I I I. Yep. Nope. Also, they had Ti
2: doing something with this, like, because he had like a whole like facial scar or whatever the hell, and like had a weird whole trying to do the New Orleans accent, and it wasn't working.
1: And the thing is, I do like the RZA as well. I also like Man with the Iron Fist for as bad and cheesy as it is, but I absolutely love that movie. And my favorite part of the movie, for some reason, still makes me laugh is one line of the RZA's. And these motherfuckers got a machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, they do. You got it. Yes. You, you got it, buddy. They do. Good for you. Yeah, I absolutely love that movie.
0: Also, shout out with that particular movie, the um, Russell Crowe. I'm oh, amming like, it his, up his, his, on l- a level l-
1: like, I've never seen.
0: His first of many, like, you know, I'm doing like a weird junkie genre movie. and I'm just going to embrace it. which is like... This is for—that's for pleasure. This is for pain, <laughs> with like the knife or whatever.
2: Yeah, your business. This is pleasure. <laughs> yes, yes. That's the line, Very good. man. Also, um, I love unhinged. I really do. <laughs> oh, dude, we're both unhinged fans
0: as well. Wonderful. I, I love Fat Crow. Fat Crow is so <laughs> scary in such a good way. But let's go ahead and um, before we uh, exit the segment, we like to repeat our titles. So we'll go in the order that we went. Adam first.
1: For my good, I had the Northmen, and for my bad, I had the series Moon Knight.
0: Uh, for my good, I had Before Sunset, and my bad, I had the Newton Boys.
2: And for my good, I had Sinister, and my bad, I had Cutthroat City.
0: And we're going to be doing our picking for our next episode so stay tuned for that at the very end but we have some people we want to thank like we want to thank chris oliver for the intro and outro music used for our show listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com thanks to christian thor lally for our artwork follow him at night of water that's night with a k underscore of underscore water Uh, on twitter and other places for uh, all of his great stuff and thanks to our loyal patreon supporters patreon.com slash pod, where for just one dollar a month you all get to become edgelord patrons and you get to you know vote In certain polls that we do to pick, you know, either individual movies or topics, like uh, the week this episode's going up, you'll be able to pick uh, between two topics that we're giving a redemption to, because usually we have, like, two topics that face off against each other, one wins and one loses the poll, but, you know, every once a year, we like to give the uh, losers a chance of redemption, Uh, so your options are either uh, 70s period pieces or crime thrillers. We'll be covering one of those two topics uh, in July, so you all get to vote on one of those two, and whoever wins, we devote an episode to. You also get to listen to bonus podcasts that we do, like On the Edge of Relevance, we kind of referenced earlier, where we cover modern movies that have come out either in theaters or on VOD streaming, stuff like that. And we recently put out one for Everything Everywhere All At Once, the critically acclaimed. Big, uh, you know, A24 movie, speaking with First Reformed. Uh, we had a lot of fun discussing that, Adam Right?
1: I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, it was, it was all right.
0: Just selling it perfectly.
1: Oh, it was so good. What an enthralling conversation. Everyone should listen to it. Blah, 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 blah. There. Jesus. Wonderful.
0: Yes. That'll get people uh, joined in, including, uh, we should shout out, we got a couple new patrons recently, uh, Adrian and Tammy. Thank you. For becoming patrons and helping us out. Hey.
1: Hey. Thanks, guys. Pretty cool. Give us your money.
0: (laughs) Yes, uh, for the $1, you get to become edgelords and get all that bonus stuff. And you can be part of the cool club with somebody like Shaquille, who is a patron. We really appreciate that and appreciate, of course, you being on the show Shaquille. Please plug yourself. Where can people find you on the internet?
2: Man, you can find me pretty much everywhere on the internet. Shaq Excellence. is S-H-A-K Excellence. That means Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, which that's, at this point, that's become the main thing. Twitch, which I want to get back into streaming again. Uh, you could also find my podcast sequels, which has been on hiatus because we've tried to record for like six months and just bad shit keeps happening. So it's not our fault exactly as much as the world is preventing us from actually recording. Um, you can find uh, my movie reviews at com, where I just recently wrote a review of Top Gun uh, Maverick, which is probably like my second favorite movie of the year that movie's fucking ridiculous. We we'll probably end up talking about that off mic, but um, yeah, that thing was incredible. But yeah, cgmagonline.com. You can find my movie reviews there. There's more coming up soon. And uh, yeah. Yes, uh, definitely. You
0: know, subscribe to sequels and whenever a podcast episode does pop up in your feed, it'll be like discovering Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. Show up. Listen, you know, it's like I'm,
2: try, I'm trying to make it happen again. No,
0: no Hey, look, no rush. I know you all got stuff going on, but uh, whenever an episode does pop up, I feel so happy. So Mm -hmm. if you can, it's always fun. Great show.
2: Also, thank you guys for having me on. It's been, I miss talking to you guys. It's Always fun to talking to you guys.
0: Yes. And you know, if you become a patron, you'd be able to hear uh, the most recent recording we did with Shaquille where we did an audio commentary about Roadhouse.
2: Oh, yes.
0: (laughs) Which was a lot of fun. Uh, Worth the price of admission just to listen to Shaquille discover Roadhouse.
2: Just watching that for the first time was an
0: experience.
2: Yes. As it should be.
0: For more of us and our Rinky Dink operation, uh, find us on Twitter and Facebook at pod. And also you can submit feedback to us at uh, double bill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and letterboxes at notthewhosthommy. And you also do some writing at both uh, com and at film-cred.com.
1: And you can find me on Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. You can find me on Facebook if you want. It's under my full name, Adam Thomas. Just tell me you're a fan of the show. I'll add you. We can shoot the shit. And also letterbox at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N.
0: And uh, for more of our antics, uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows like, you know, sequels. We're a part of this. This is the first time we've recorded since we're a part of the same podcast network. Oh, yeah. You know? We're part of the same label now. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, we are. Um, and you can uh, also dig into our archives, our Podbean main feed for nearly 200 episodes uh, For set before we joined uh, Talk Film Society. And nothing else, if you can't uh, support us on the patreon you know money can be tight that's cool the totally free way to help us out is to rate review or simply share the show around because it gets us more visibility
1: and again it's free you fucks well now
0: it's time we did our picking for next week's episode uh which you know every week at the end of the show adam and i each have two movies as one of us has two good ones one of us has two bad ones we switch up on the quality for that and uh, we assign numbers between one and ten for both of those, uh, and the other person, or in this case, when we have a guest Shaquille, we'll pick a number between one and ten, and whatever that gets closest to of like, oh, blank has is, is at number whatever, blank is at number whatever, whatever particular number Shaquille chooses, whatever that's closest to of the good and the bad choices, that gives us a double feature for next week. And next week we're doing um, a topic that was chosen by our patrons, uh, patreon.com slash about summer camp comedies, uh, which it was between that and horror films. Uh, so we'll have, uh, you know, Adam has the two good choices for that, the two bad. And uh, keep in mind that we also have this rule called the Godfather Rule, where Adam and I each have a veto in our back pocket, which uh, if we, you know, hear whatever choice gets chosen for the good, and one of us is like, you know, I don't want to actually cover that particular choice, we can say, actually, I'll take the cannoli unless that gets that choice removed and we have to go with whatever other choice we have but we can only use that veto once every year and it's burn a hole in our back pocket if we don't use it by next May it's use it or lose it so for uh, Adam's two good choices for summer camp comedy Shaquille, number between 1 and 10
2: number 8
1: alrighty, at number 9 I have a movie I've seen uh, probably twice I'm looking forward to revisiting it because I don't know how crazy I've ever been about it but I think maybe with age, it got sweeter. I have Wet Hot American Summer.
0: Oh, boy. Not taking the cannoli on that. That's a great fucking comedy. Love it. It's, it's worth it just for everybody's in that movie.
1: And no, everybody is. Yeah. Everybody's everybody. the fucking movie. It's insane. But what was your other choice? At number two, I have the absolutely incredible Adam's Family Values.
0: Oh, Okay. Um, Happy Turkey Day. Eat me, eat me. Yes, of course. Great summer camp Thanksgiving. Win-win either way. But now Shaquille, for my two bad choices, please pick a number between 1 and 10. I'm going to keep it in the upper numbers. You're going number 10. Okay. At number 9, I admittedly have a movie that's kind of cheating because it technically fits more under the other topic the patrons uh, didn't end up voting for. But at the same time, while it is a horror film, it does take place at summer camp, and more importantly, it is funny in various unintentional ways. It's a movie i want wanted to talk about on the show for quite some time. I have the original masterpiece, Sleepaway Camp.
1: Ooh. Yeah. That's a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> taking, Lord. Yeah, I'm not taking the veto on that. that uh, that's a great one.
0: Have you seen the original Sleepaway Camp, Shaquille?
1: I haven't seen all of it, but I've seen the scene yeah
2: yeah true. Sure, right sure. i mean there's that scene but before that scene there's so much I, you know i think about actually know you know what you know what? i might have seen like two or three deaths from it just because there was like a compilation on youtube but like other than that i haven't seen anything in between like the actual story or dialogue no I haven't seen shit it's it's a masterpiece.
0: That, that's one that's kind of like uh, fucking Roadhouse, where I would want to watch it with you. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much. There's so much to the that movie that's bizarre, uh, as we'll talk about next time. But um, on the other end of things, over at number two, um, I had a movie that um, I think has been forgotten with good reason. Uh, pretty bad uh, summer camp comedy. More recent, I had Fired Up.
1: Oh, really? I don't. I don't even think I know what that is.
0: It's it takes place. The whole joke is like it's a cheerleader camp, but it's two guys. To go to Chamber oh. Camp. <laughs> uh, sleepaway Camp and White Hot American Summer. They'll be a lot of fun to discuss next time. But until next time, everybody, uh, I just got to, you know, we're going <laughs> to load up our drinks full of Drano and just have a lot of fun here. Great, fun time. Wacky hijinks, courtesy of Paul Schranger. Brian Dennett,
1: he's always a bad guy. <laughs>